0: be happening right now. And welcome to episode 15 of the Wookiee Genome Project. The Star Wars podcast that's about all things Star Wars and also things that are kind of Star Wars and also things that are sort of related to Star Wars and also some of Star Wars distant cousins. And, uh, you know, the list goes on. So anyway, I want to get back to the amazing conversation I had with the, the brilliant and, uh, delightful Miss Katie McCourt. Um, this is a continuation of our conversation that, uh, that I kind of cut short in episode 13 and it's, go some interesting places just you know bear with us it is not it's still sort of related to carlos castaneda's tales of power um but it doesn't touch we kind of moved away from that a little bit and, and sort of went down our own uh went on our own little journey anyway like i said without further ado that was that was a little bit of a do but we'll we'll uh we'll roll by right into it that additional unnecessary ado uh here's the rest of that conversation buckle up
1: so let me break this down a little further here. So according to Tales of Power, this this other world, um, this this Nagual idea um, can only be truly unlocked, and a man can only become a warrior, um, but by, by changing the state of mind, by ceasing this internal dialogue, um, specifically this idea of self pity and these personal feelings that that people carry with them, and um, they should also, on top of this, act always without expecting anything in return. So this sounds very much like the Jedi. So all of this Luke Skywalker is absolutely terrible at um, because Luke and, and really it's, 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 what makes him an interesting character. I mean, he carries with him a very strong internal dialogue that, that dictates how he thinks about other people, you know, specifically the people he loves and more importantly, how he views you know himself. And, and as I was saying, this idea of this legacy and, and this legacy is really like acting while expecting this reward of being the hero and, and this burden on his shoulders that he believes he carries and he doesn't want to let go of. And, a lot of like the, the, the scene on Crate is him realizing that there's more important things than just like his own, again, like his own self-pity and, and, this idea that he, he not only failed Ben and his sister, but like he failed the world. And, um, he has just this very strong sense of just complete self-importance. I mean, he says it himself because I was Luke Skywalker, a legend. Um, <clears throat> so yeah, Luke's entire arc is, is really this idea of, um, you know, I, I, I failed everybody. And, and this stems from this emotions and this thought process that um, you know, Luke never let go of because, like, he's he's always one with this mentality. And, I mean, because when he had it in the original trilogy, it led to great things. I mean, he saved his father, you know, the, yeah. the Empire was destroyed. So this is really, he never listened to Yoda because what consequences did he see? Um, so yeah, finally, I mean- it's biting him in the ass.
0: Yeah. I mean, in a sense, like the stuff he does, I would say is still portrayed as a mistake. The reason why it doesn't end up ruining everything, like when he goes to confront Vader on cloud city, when he, mm-hmm. when he goes to confront Vader again in front of the emperor, um, which is insane when you, when you think about like what, like what nobody tells him is how powerful the emperor really is. And the thing is that he can take the consequences without breaking. And that's mm-hmm. what makes it so it's not a mistake. And in a sense, that's what he That's the idea of do or do not, there is no try. Like the spirit of that is not like, don't try. It's, it's, uh, it's like, don't approach something as if it's not, it might not happen. Like you've got to get rid of the possibility of, like, you got to get rid of that, that like, you know, like uh, Don Juan would say, quiet the internal dialogue, mm-hmm. or as uh, a Buddhist would tell you is you've got to, um, uh, achieve a state of actual meditation. And the way that, uh, uh, Castaneda explains it of like how it used to take him a long time and he had to like take peyote and stuff like that to, to get into like a, a meditative state that now he can do it almost as like on command. And although that sounds weird and awfully convenient, that is what I don't know from experience, but that is what uh, most people would tell you who who have been doing meditation in some form or another for the better part of their lives uh, is that they can just kind of drop into that state very quickly. And when you and the point of doing that is supposed to be that you're you it gives you perspective and so you don't look at yourself you're not it 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 is the idea is it it is like quieting the the cruel master of the mind right and uh, all that and looking at yourself subjectively in a sense as being like just another thing in this place The, the important thing to remember about Luke I think in Last Jedi is that. He, at that point, knows more about the Jedi and their history and their legacy than anyone else who has ever lived in that galaxy. Because he not only has the information he has gathered from uh, just like historical research about like the recent history of the Jedi and uh, stuff like that. But he also found something, the original temple, which was apparently lost for a very long time. And so mm-hmm. he also has that knowledge that was forgotten Yep. and abandoned. So he has that and that, and then he's in this weird position because he's like the Pope of a religion that has no followers. And in that case, you've got like, if you're, if you're the the Pope, I'm just using this colloquially. Right. So mm-hmm. for, I'm not talking about the actual Pope, like the, a big job of a Pope type, you know, Pontifex character is that, or, or position is that you are the custodian of a, a storied tradition. And whatever you do, you have to make sure that are doing it. Like you don't just throw stuff out because it doesn't seem relevant at the time, because that's like a, you're, you're making, you're making decisions based on your one moment of, of, of like, you know, participation in, in the, in, in the tradition without, and you have no ability to, to see things from a different perspective. You don't know why certain things are the way they are. And you got to be very, very careful about what you toss out. However, if you have no followers, um, you're in this weird position where you could just burn down the library. If you decide that it would do more harm than good, and you would be within your rights as the, because you have that authority, so like the idea of like Luke deciding that the Jedi should end is like that's not like he's he's approaching it as a like that's why he's supposed that's what the book says anyway that he's wearing those like ceremonial robes because that's what he was going to do before Ray showed up is he was going to go burn down the library and he's tried it before and he's never been able to bring himself to do it and he probably and he wasn't going to be able to do it the last time, and so Yoda did it for him, and the idea of that he is that is his job like if that's what he decides to do that's like the right that's he has that authority so and it wouldn't it wouldn't be there's i don't think that it's uh i think when fans look at it they're like oh my god how could he say that that's what i love so much and it's like it's just i mean it is just the story and you got to kind of look at it like don't look at it from our perspective look at it from the perspective of the characters who are the ones Mm -hmm. who if you do a good job writing the story, they're going to – that's how they're going to feel, and they're going to reflect that. But also, I think another – I mean, I know I'm rambling on here. But another thing that makes Luke interesting is he's kind of also not a Jedi. I don't think he not,
1: is. I, I and, think he becomes a Jedi on Crait, and, and I'll go over that in in a second, but but continue.
0: Yeah. I mean, in a sense, like – okay, so, again, Luke's Luke's uh, history in his reality is not the reality of the prequels. Like, the prequels exist, yeah. and they are referenced – I think exactly twice, very subtly in the last Jedi. Um, well, he says Darth Sidious, which drives me up the wall because he would, of course, refer to him as the emperor. Cause that's what he knew. Even if he learned later, like your first, if you're like explaining something to somebody, you would explain it in the terms that they would understand. Uh, so that, that bothered me a little bit, but, um, but the other thing is, I think that he's wearing the prequel Jedi costume in those flashbacks or something close to it, except for the fact that his robe has no oh. sleeves. So he's wearing basically the same thing he's wearing when at the end of The Force Awakens except that the tunic I think ends. Now I might be wrong about this. But that I I thought I know either he's wearing it or Ben's wearing it, Ben Solo. But there's something like that happening, which is a, a cute little nod that they they were reviving the tradition of wearing the farmer garb. Um
1: I know from the art book Ben's like the the drawings of young Ben Solo are very like the the tunic kind of
0: Yeah. I mean, the artists are always throwing in stuff like that. And it's usually the director who says, no, no, don't go that direction. Like there's the kind of infamous story now about like all the pod racing flags that were put into like Maz's castle. And JJ Abrams didn't notice it until somebody pointed it out to him. He said, Oh, you got to go and change all that. And his reason wasn't like, I'm going to erase the prequels. It was just like, no, come up with something on your own, like make something new. That's Mm -hmm. cool. Do what they did when they made those flags. Just like come up with something cool and new and don't. Don't dwell too much on the past because it wouldn't affect these characters the same way it would affect the audience. The audience mm-hmm. is, has the responsibility to take meaning from those movies or to ignore them, um, which is your right to do. So, uh, but yeah, so, but even if you look at those movies, like he's not a Jedi in that sense, but he's also not a Jedi in the sense that he was raised by farmers and his morality and ethical compass is basically going to be Owen and Baru Lars. And that is why I think he has such a hard time. Like he kind of gets hit with like this unenlightenment mm. when he fails Ben and, it, and it, it shocks him back out of the space where he had confidence and suddenly it's all gone and he's still he's that farm boy again and well, that's he's the not thing worthy. too
1: you know he yeah. was never humble which is fine I mean that's I think this all makes him a more interesting character but he's just not you know this cut and dry Jedi type really and frankly that that's not that interesting in my yeah. opinion for him to be like that
0: well he acts more like Yoda and and Ben Kenobi then he does. I mean, that's what he knows. That's what he actually sure. knows. And the more you think about like what he would actually be able to learn about the, the prequel era Jedi is like, it seems like he knows basically what went down, but I think he only knows it to the extent that the audience will remember, like what the audience can remember. <laughs> From having seen those movies when they were released,
1: okay, kind is, of. It's probably hold on. what
0: he knows. Yeah,
1: I have a two-second beef here. I'm really mad that he blames Obi Wan and not Yoda for Anakin's fault. Just saying, I'm not I mean, okay with that. Everybody, okay.
0: like, yeah, this is why. Like, I don't like the other thing. The thing about Yoda is like Yoda's like Don Juanness was completely removed from him in the prequels because he's just like a uh, like uh, basically like a force bureaucrat who lives in a skyscraper, and it just kind of like to me like. The, the reason why it rings so hollow is that like he was supposed to be from Dagobah. Like the the idea is that you come to Yoda, and learn, and the and, and that's why like you know Ben's ghost is I thought I could you know teach him as well as Yoda, and I was wrong. Like it's very clear that he should have sent Anakin Skywalker to train with Yoda on Dagobah, but he didn't. He wanted to take on the test that all uh, young masters do eventually, which is to strike out on your own and and contribute to the tradition by training the next generation. And this is something that, um, you see in like, uh, martial arts schools all the time. Uh, like every, like, uh, you know, karate dojo or a school or something is started by somebody who reached a certain level in their, in their discipline and realized they couldn't be promoted above that because that would make them the master that would make them the, 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 uh, the Pope of that <laughs> dojo or something. So what they do almost always is they just start their own school and there's like a schism and they take some of the students with them. And it's kind of like this thing where it's like frowned upon, but it's also understood that everybody has to do that to get to a certain point. Like if you want to transcend just being like the top ranked person in your, in your school, like you actually have to go and become a teacher and you can only do that by turning your back on the other teacher. But if you screw it up in this case, like you're creating a big problem. And that, that is literally what everybody thought they were doing when they wrote those lines, when they delivered those lines as actors, that's what everybody assumed was the backstory. And it changes all that when Yoda's just like a completely different character. And uh, yeah, anyway, I'm done.
1: <laughs> no. Yeah. Th- that's fair. Yeah. I, I don't want to go down into a, a prequel hole.
0: It's not, it's not wrong and it's not necessarily yeah, no bad. Idea. It's just different. And yep. if you like it, that's awesome. But if yep. you don't like it, you can be forgiven for kind of not paying attention to it because it doesn't, there's a lot of internal like dissonance there that doesn't really, I don't, I don't know. I just feel so sorry for Yoda. Like,
1: oh, see, I'm, I'm not a Yoda
0: fan. No, I don't feel sorry. I mean, I feel sorry for like the idea of like, y- did you see this recently? Like, uh, Frank Oz, uh, he subscribes to my theory that puppet Yoda is the only real Yoda. <laughs> um, and cause he said, uh, when he was contacted to do Yoda, he's like, I thought they were just going to have me come in and do the voice, you know, but then I found out, no, they're, they're going to make a puppet and it's going to be the real Yoda. It's going to be the actual character. And I was like, oh, wow. Oh, that's, that's a shots fired right there on some level. Um, my theory is that like CGI Yoda is a completely different person who like usurped Yoda's authority.
1: <laughs> my God, I love this. It's like bigger Luke. Yeah. Bigger my Luke. My favorite
0: right? yeah. theory. <laughs> no Star Wars fan can be totally immune from having a stupid, that can't possibly be true theory That is so much fun. You can't, turn your back on it completely you have to kind of believe it um so yeah okay so continue like what i mean what else do you, what other parallels do you see with uh luke and ray and and don juan and, and carlos here
1: yeah so just rounding out this crate one before i i promise i'll get into this cave scene i feel like i've been saying it for
0: like yeah i, I do okay. want you to do that
1: uh yeah so just just finishing this piece on i want to go back to this quote again this um so, this idea of in order to erase personal history, what you have to do according to Tales of Power. So, um, you have to, let's see. So, so the techniques that were taught to erase his personal history were losing self importance, assuming responsibility, and using death as an advisor, right? So, I think this finally happens for Luke on Crate. And that, so, before I get to this, I think Ryan did a really great thing with when he brought Yoda back. Um, to destroy the forest tree, he tells Luke this still looking to the horizon, never here now, which is what he says also in the original trilogy and this idea how you can't be a Jedi if this is what you're doing. So to me, this was Ryan like saying, hey, Luke never got to this point where he was this Jedi master. He was just a legacy, which is this idea of self-importance. So again, going through this lens of Tales of Power, it's not... Like, you, you can't be a Jedi if, if you're looking at it, as I was saying before, through seeing yourself as something – he's just he's, he's not humble. Like, he's looking at himself as this, like, you know, quote-unquote big deal. Um, and and I, this is more out of just, like, feeling that the weight of the world on your shoulders. I, I don't think, like, you know, Luke is a narcissist or anything. I'm not trying to say uh, that.
0: Yeah, I, w- I think that would be a very difficult thing to buy, given the way he thinks of himself and oh, talks yeah. about himself. Like, he he feels guilty about having ever thought he was up to the task.
1: Sure. In my but opinion. I, like I, yeah, go ahead. But they still think, like, he still holds this idea. And again, none of what Luke ever does comes from a bad place. Like, he's my favorite character. I'm really not. I know it kind of sounds like I'm bashing him. I'm not. Um, but it still equates to this idea of being so stuck within your, your own emotions and what you feel like are your own failings because you couldn't let them go. And then again, what I was saying, like, he never had to because it always worked out for him. Um so, so really what he's doing on Crate is he's finally assuming responsibility for failing his nephew and, and leaving the galaxy to, to what it has become. And then also, you know, what may come to pass. And at the end of the day, like, this is not his burden. Um, and he, he pays for this responsibility with his life and and in doing so quite literally uses death here as an advisor. Um, and he finally becomes, you know, this one with the Force, which remember, Tales of Power says that that once a person erases erases personal history and understands it, this is the quote, act of dealing directly with the Nagul, um, again like the force. So this is um uh this goes back to what Yoda was saying in in Empire again and this idea of, you know, don't look Towards adventure, which which Luke rejected this, and he he looked for the adventure, and he let his emotions guide him to to both good and bad outcomes. And really, I I don't. Let, all right, let me just go to this this one other passage from Tales of Power, which sure. is this idea of um the warrior becoming part of the Nagual. Since I keep dancing around this, um all right, so this so, all right, so the Tales of Power reads a warrior acknowledges his pain, but he doesn't indulge in it. Don Juan said. Thus, the mood of a warrior who enters into the unknown is not one of sadness. On the contrary, he's joyful because he feels humbled by his great fortune, confident that his spirit is impeccable and above all fully aware of his efficiency. A warrior's joyfulness comes from having accepted his fate and from having truthfully assessed what lies <coughs> excuse me and oh, oh, my voice okay uh, and having truthfully um, assessed what lies ahead of him. So we see this at the end of the last Jedi as well. You know when Rey describes that when Luke dies, she felt peace and purpose, or you know this understanding of of what lies ahead of him and understanding what he has lost and being humbled by this fate that that he's accepted. Um, so I think this is Luke's ultimate and frankly only Jedi moment here, um, and obviously this can be interpreted a million ways. Um, but I think it's insanely poetic that he is the last Jedi, at least of the old religion. Um, I, I know Rey is is going off and she's going to be the Jedi in some capacity, but I think the point is here that it's going to be this this new idea that learns from the failings of of the Jedi. Um, so Luke is the last piece of this old idea of what it means to be a Jedi, of at least in, of how we know it from canon. Um, and, and this stems very much from Tales of Power. So I do love this idea that the last part of this idea of this warrior is... Um, is realized in his death, um, and and it ended with his character finally realizing, you know, what Yoda was telling him the whole time, specifically from Empire, and um, I, I just I, I think Luke is a better character um, because of this. But you know, I'm, I'm glad he didn't just come out like Obi Wan, and and you know, he was just spent the entire you know course of the last jedi and and i'm trying not to get really salty about people who say like oh luke was totally out of character it's like no he just was never really a jedi but i, I do love this idea that he died a jedi and he was the last one yeah. and he will always be the last one i think that's <clears throat> really, or,
0: or really he beautiful. was a jedi uh, and then at some point he was not like if it's not necessarily a thing you declare yourself to be but an actual state of mind that you achieve you can also lose that state of mind I mean, mm-hmm. every, every, like, I mean, there's any story about somebody acquiring power as a hero will always have a moment where they lose that power, at least temporarily. And, you know, like, it's, it's almost like in superhero movies and stuff, it's like, it's, it's so routine now that it feels uh, cliche. But of course, it's just something that's always a part of it because, as human beings, when we gain confidence to do something, that's no guarantee. Unless you're a total narcissist, you will you will lose confidence again at some point. If you're doing it right, because you will take chances and make mistakes, mm-hmm. and you may make a mistake that's so bad or that shakes you so much that you doubt your very uh, you doubt whether you ever knew anything at all, and you're in this constant cycle of like uh, overconfidence and uh, and kind of irrational doubt. Mm-hmm. and uh that's like a normal person i think on some level is like that and uh i'm not really sure where i'm going with this but I no, mean, no, like, no
1: i i just he's he's a more interesting character because he realizes this at the last minute i think yeah personally.
0: i mean full disclosure here like i i although i love digging into this kind of stuff that you can find in star wars uh and these movies and i know that like there were a lot of influences and stuff that were drawn upon it like i am kind of much more of the like strict uh textualist kind of idea of like the first job was to tell us a compelling story. And Mm -hmm. to do that, you have to kind of do a lot of the same you're, you're using, you're drawing from the same bag of tricks that everybody does. And in that sense, unless you want to have a character like Yoda, who's super powerful, but doesn't, doesn't get a lot of screen time. Um, you're going to have to, put some flaws or, or uh, liabilities or weaknesses in a character to make it interesting. And like, so even Ben Kenobi is uh, he's an old man and he's, he's enfeebled and he has great power, but he's also like his greatest power is just like his, his uh, kind of his discipline and his uh, ability to, to approach the problem um, kind of from a different uh, perspective. So like he, he does. And he also seems to be like, this wasn't intentional at the time, I'm sure, but it's kind of this interesting Result of people forgetting, <laughs> as they wrote new Star Wars movies, what Ben Kenobi could do because nobody ever does it again. So he can like project sounds and stuff from his body and other to very Don Juan esque things. Like he can make the weird dragon noise and and like create like like cause people to flee in terror. He can cre- generate um, like low rumbling noises in the distance to make the stormtroopers look away. So he can he can do the tractor beam. I mean, there's really cool stuff that he does that just you never ever see again. And, uh, but it's also like, it's implying that like, at a certain point, he's learned how to fight without fighting mm. and that he, he like, he picks his battles and like, he's going to, he's going to do what he has to do. And of course, like what he does for Luke at the end, which is Alec Guinness's idea was to die, um, and to show Luke, like, both a, a a sacrifice and to free luke to go on his own journey and also to like give himself the sufficient power to follow luke everywhere he goes if he needs to and but it's it's mostly like it just serves as as an example it's like it's showing that even the power of of someone like darth vader is limited and there are things beyond even his understanding there's something to achieve there Mm -hmm. that is beyond like the the even just like just swinging a laser sword around. It goes well beyond that. Yeah.
1: So that's, um, let's go into this idea of the journey of the cave. Um, so this is a passage from Tales of Power that um, I think can apply to both Rey's force back, her own journey into the cave, um, and then, of course, um, Luke's empire journey into the cave. Um, so Castaneda has found himself drawn to and, – and you were um, saying this earlier. but So he's drawn – to this what he perceives as a man behind the bushes so the book reads um this time however i felt i had the upper hand and i refused to explain or to think anything at all for a moment i had the impression that i could hold the man and force him to remain where he was i then experienced a strange pain in the pit of my stomach something seemed to rip inside me and i could not hold the muscles of my midsection tense any longer at the very moment I let go, the dark shape of an enormous bird or some sort of flying animal lurched at me from the chaparral. It was as if the shape of the man had turned into the shape of a bird. I had the clear conscious perception of fear. I gasped and then let out a loud yell and fell on my back. What was that? Quick aside here, this is literally what happens at The Force Awakens. So Ray is oh, running yeah. and sees a dark figure emerge from the bushes. She panics, falls backwards, says, what is that? Um... I'm not saying JJ read this book. I'm just saying it's weird. Anyway, yeah. So Don Juan says uh, you had an appointment with knowledge. So further on explaining this idea, the book reads Don Juan said that the call of the moth. So this is this bird is is later called a moth, um, in the chaparral was going to aid me if I paid attention to it. It would tell of imminent events. He stressed that if um, sorry, he stressed that he did not know how the communication between the moth. So. This is really, so this is that man in the bushes, as I said, and then it's just, yeah, it's just, I don't know, it it becomes a moth. I really don't know how a bird becomes a moth, but whatever. So um, the communication between the moth and myself was going to be established. Neither did he know what the terms of the communication would be. He urged me to feel at ease and confident and trust my personal power. Um, All right, so let's unpack this here. So it relates to several of these vision scenes, as I said. So this moth is warning him of uh, imminent events. So this is reminiscent, at least for me, of both Darth Vader and Luke's cave vision, as well as Kylo and Ray's force back, as well as Kylo again. Again, um, from behind the mirror in Ray's cave scene, I know that's controversial. That hasn't been confirmed. It's in the art book. I'm calling it Kylo from behind the mirror. Whatever. Not really there to... That's a, that's another rabbit hole, right? So, oh, Like
0: whether it's one figure or two behind the mirror?
1: Yeah. I mean, well, it's two and then it merges to one. I'm 150% convinced that one figure is Kylo. The two, I can't speak to. Um, but from, from hints in the art book like their faces are supposed to be split. And I think we were originally supposed to see him, but it it ends up as a shadow, which I think is way cooler.
0: Hey, hey everybody. It's time for a little coffee break here. I haven't done one of these for a while, but I do want to do them whenever I can. Uh, As a reminder, you give us a five-star review on iTunes. Um, and uh, and you, know, you should subscribe although I won't know whether you did or not You do that, you ask a question in that 5 star review I will answer that question on the air um, Via you know, such whatever, you, whatever you consider The podcast being on, on On the internet, on the stream In the cloud um, So I do another show uh, as well Another Star Wars thing It's um, for Steel Saunders' uh, Patreon feed It's a Patreon exclusive You gotta donate a couple bucks a month to Steel you should you should definitely give that a shot and there's a Robo report and people ask me questions on that too um, they do it through the patreon uh, website and uh, they, we have one question for episode 7 that I really really wanted to answer but it's so long that I couldn't do it, it we just were running out of time and, and if I waited until the next episode I would probably forget so I promised this person who goes by the the nom the uh, nom the gear uh, sizzle dizzle. Um, that I would answer this question on, on my other Star Wars podcast. So if you're listening, I hope you are Sizzle or Mr. Dizzle or Miss Dizzle um, as the case may be. Uh, here's your question. Uh, I've really been enjoying this uh, spin-off or mashup podcast from y'all. Raba brings a grounded introspective analysis that I always appreciate and Steele's ability to bring this out makes the collaboration as good as some of the best 90s hip hop singles. For example, Tupac and Dr. Dre's California Love. First of all, um, I'm not really sure which one I am, my Tupac or my Dr. Dre. I feel like I'm Dre, but really, I, I feel like I shouldn't be saying either of those things. Uh, I'm, yeah, but uh, um, so the, the question continues. Uh, the insights shine through on this episode during Robbo's gripes with cardboard boxes and other just a teensy two bit earthly things in Star Wars uniforms. I want to push him a little bit further and ask about his thoughts on commodity sales in the universe, from Moss Eisley's Cantina to Watto's Junkyard to Dexter Jettster's Diner, it seems that the buying and selling of commodities are exactly the same in the Star Wars universe across multiple planets as they are on Earth. That is, when Obi-Wan, Luke, and Han enter the cantina, we don't question the fact that bartending is a thing, that someone owns the bar and sells drinks to patrons. Watto's refusal to take Republic credits speaks a little bit to rejecting centralized currencies, but this isn't explored in too much detail. Do you find this a little, perhaps, as, even, as much as or even more earthly, I guess, as, as cardboard boxes in our space opera? Um, or is this a form of social relations, where beings of all types and sell their labor power to someone smaller or larger to survive, it is so culturally ingrained that it's seemingly obvious that even in a galaxy far, far away, that's how production and sales would occur. Furthermore, is exploring alternative modes of production something that you would want to see in a spin-off material? For example, Star Wars Resistance. In part, I'm thinking about this because of a recent clip by Lucas I watched where he identifies as an anthropologist in artistic endeavors and was wondering why he didn't explore other forms of pre-market social relations. Keep up the sick work, y'all, and sick is spelled S-I-Q-Q. Kudos for that. Kudos with the Q. Uh, and thanks for everything. Well, let me just say you're welcome for everything, Mr. or Miss Sizzle uh, or Dizzle. And uh, that is a crazy, crazy question. And I, uh, as a as a connoisseur of crazy sci-fi fantasy geek questions, approve. Uh, just uh, first and foremost, let me give you a thumbs up because. I don't know how many people in the world this would ever have occurred to, but uh, I'm glad that one of them, this (laughs) must surely be a serious minority. um, One of these people uh, thought to ask me the question. So, I mean, I have no definitive answers. I don't know. But what I will say is that, yeah, I mean, it is an interesting thought. There's so many things that Star Wars as as a setting takes for granted. And one of those is just the idea of a, like, you know, capitalist system market economy where you exchange money for goods and services. They barely get into like the value of money or the, the buying power of money. Um, phantom menace, I will give it credit for. Um, I mean, although it is basically just to justify a plot point because the Jedi should have money and and Amidala should have money. um, they, it shouldn't be easy for them to get what they want. So they just say, well, on Tatooine, we don't accept your Republic credits. They're worthless to us, but they still do accept money, which is, interesting we take it as a given but it's not and this is something that it's the kind of thing that you see explored sometimes I, I i don't know that it's been explored but if i if i had to bet um what i would do is i would go to some of the role-playing game source materials the source books and i'll bet you you'll find uh, at least one planet or at least one alien culture that does not accept money or perhaps even ex- understand money and instead as a different um Sort of goods and services exchange uh, platform or something, but I'm not. I, I honestly don't know. One thing I'll say is like there's so many assumptions in Star Wars th- about things working in a galaxy far, far away. They the way they work here that identifying them all would be a very tedious thing. The 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 secret sauce, right? The 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 um, the thousand island dressing on the Big Mac of of Star Wars cinema uh, storytelling or whatever. The appeal of the series, I think, is truly the setting. Um, the characters over time have gained uh, a lot of appeal on their own right. I mean, we just had the big uh, Darth Maul cameo and all that. I mean, that's, you know, not my favorite character, but you know what? He means something to a lot of people and that's why he's there. But at, at the beginning, the reason why Star Wars stuck with people is not because the characters are like super new or original or is because um, the setting was so intriguing, and the only way you can do, and, and it explains nothing about itself, by the way. Like the, the Force is just slightly explained. Han explains a little bit about how hyperdrives work, and that's about it. Everything else in the universe, everything else in that galaxy, in the original Star Wars, in most other Star Wars movies, is not explained. What instead they do is they put it in the context of something we understand from Earth. And they allow our brains to fill in the blanks. As long as they don't have to tell us how the blanks are being filled, we'll do it ourselves and we won't feel like it's earthly. What we'll do is we'll focus on the otherworldly elements. But you don't ask questions about like, well, who are the sand people? What's their deal? It's like, you know... That they are basically filling the same purpose as, like, say, you know, the Comanche or Cherokee Indians would in like a Western movie. You don't need to understand these things. Uh, it's kind of like how the Millennium Falcon should be more sophisticated than any uh, anything we have on the market today. But in reality, like the way they describe it, the Millennium Falcon is really like a you know 1932 Ford coupe, right? <laughs> it's a hot rod. It, 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 it can. It's no more complicated than a hot rod. Whereas any car that any of us drives, unless we drive like an old, you know, vintage car, is probably infinitely more complicated than the Falcon movie. The reason why it does this is because it, I think that's part of the secret sauce, is it want that the, the the setting wants you to fill in the blanks in your head, and they don't want to challenge your assumptions too much about the way things work. I mean, you can fill in the blanks yourself. You don't need to understand what the laws are in Canto Bite to understand that, um, they're getting arrested for a parking violation, which is draconian, right? Which is ridiculous. Nobody gets arrested for that unless the place is very unfriendly to those who do not have anything, you know? Like, you, you get it. You get it. Like, there's that stuff's there. That's the secret. So, you know, does it make a whole lot of sense? No. But you know what makes even less sense than, than the the system of trade in Star Wars is the fact that 90% of the aliens are basically... Humanoid. They are of human proportions. Like of all the possible shapes and sizes of, of living creatures in the galaxy, why aren't they microscopic? Why aren't they 25 feet tall? You know, it doesn't. Uh, why isn't it like an intelligent gas that just kind of uh, expands and condenses as it, as it sees fit? Why do people communicate with uh, language like like spoken language when they can communicate with smells or communicate with songs or or communicate with uh, with furtive glances you know, I mean, it's it's that's the realm of pure sci-fi. If you really like that stuff, and as I feeling that you do, uh, check out uh, the weirder sci-fi authors, like the stuff that stuff that really did inspire um, George Lucas. I am always going back to Isaac Asimov's work. Always, uh, there's so many little ideas in there, and he's a guy who barely touched on the concept of aliens. But you can also look at uh, Arthur C. Clarke's work. Um, he did talk a lot about. He wrote a lot of books about. Coming into contact with the remnants of alien civilizations—not necessarily meeting the aliens themselves—but just what would it be like to find an alien spaceship, and how would it be shaped, and how would it work, and what would it do, or power it? Um, these are things that I think Star Wars cannot get into too much. Now, like I said, the role-playing game stuff that can get into it, the books can get into it. But if you see it in a movie, it's going to be weird because you don't want people concentrating on the weird stuff. You want them to be on autopilot. You want them to be along for the adventure. So a long question and hopefully a sufficiently long-winded answer. But now we'll get back to the show. It's uh, Again, this is episode 15. I hope you are enjoying this as much as I enjoyed doing it. It is, it is uh, one hell of a toboggan ride. Back to the show. Thanks, Mr. Desert or Mrs.
1: So let me just focus right now on Rey's force back. So Kylo Ren, or what you know, she sees then as like this this you know specter in a mask um does warn her of this imminent event, and, and that is of course that star killer based battle. Um and then just in general their face-to-face meeting. Um I, I also think there's a hint here at the force bond. Specifically, there's so Ryan copied the shot, like where Kylo stabs the I guess I don't know, the the guy that the the in the force back, the the knights of Ren are around. Oh, the and the
0: I believe he's called like the tribal what's it like the chieftain or something like that. Okay. Yeah. The bowl helmet guy. He has okay, salable yep. helmet and you see it in all over the place in Rogue One.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that it, guy, yeah. she he stabs him and then she like falls and so this the exact same scene is repeated in The Last Jedi, but obviously it's not um I'm sorry, what were they called? The the, the
0: Oh, the, I don't know that the, oh, the, I just call him the sellable helmet guy.
1: Okay. Yeah. So it, it's not him. It's obviously it's a Praetorian guard. Um, but, but there's a lot of hinting at imminent events in this forest scene. So, um, Ray also has this other scene where she has this, you know, appointment with knowledge, um, both times where she's confronted by Kylo Ren. Um, and I, I think this idea of this appointment with knowledge is better exemplified in her mirror cave scene. Um, because she does, I mean, you know, thinking this should be her parents, who who aren't there, and, and they aren't part of her future, and they were never supposed to be. But she reaches out and touches Kylo Ren's hand, granted, I, not unknowingly, from the other side of the mirror. Um, And and Kylo was always seen, like, you know, since The Force Awakens, like, I don't want to get too into the weeds into this. But he is, like, the literal young Ian Shadow in this case. So, mm-hmm. you know, he's this other half of the Force who she could easily become. Um, And, and then, of course, she comes face to face after she touches his hand, she comes face to face with herself. Um and, and many people have made this connection, but this is very much like Luke's cave scene. But it's it's Kylo instead of Vader. And, and I think the meanings are very different, but but the illusion is, is definitely both there. So um so Luke so this part's so interpretive, right? So so Luke could either he could be seeing Vader and and then himself, right? He cuts off the mask and it's himself. So um Luke could have either seen this as like he has this predilection towards the dark side and as the son of this force user obviously he doesn't know this yet but you know he can he's the son of this force user who can harness both the light and the dark equally so he's either seeing this knowledge that he that it's a symbol of evil and it's it's in his blood and this is what he could become or it's just saying like this is your father and it's more or less this is what you can become like like a jungian shadow type ideal and it's more mm-hmm. like hey this you know I am your father moment is about to happen. So I, th- that's left up for interpretation. Yeah. I like the former personally that he is seeing it more as like the shadow of himself.
0: Yeah. I would say like, it, yeah, your true enemy is actually yourself. Like Darth Vader is, his mm-hmm. periphery um, is a, as a possibility. Um, I, I think that like my suspicion is that there is no correct answer and it's something sure. that was meant to be uh, mysterious. And because if any of these things ever is like, has a one-to-one correlation to an actual, answer then it becomes uninteresting to the audience like it's supposed to be confusing and like it can't it can't it can't be like a puzzle piece that just fits to something else directly so like i think that like there it's it could be a lot of things i think in, in that movie it's like it could be like oh there's a little bit of you vader, there's a little bit of vader in you or oh you'll be you'll be tempted to the dark side or or you brought your weapon in with you and that's like the wrong answer and also what yoda says is like what do i find in there only what you bring with you i mean it, it is literally himself that's right. it. He's created his own demons and he is his own, the greatest threat to his own safety. And I guess you could say the same thing with Ray. Like a lot of the Ray cave thing, I think, I don't pretend to have any definitive answers for sure, but I would say that it is very much like this. Um, <clears throat> I guess like there's a, it, it's the, it's a similar thing. Like nobody tells her to go in there. She's, she goes in on, on her own. She's called to it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, it's like this idea of like, I guess it depends on how much how thoroughly you think she deluded herself into thinking that her parents were coming back or that her parents were more important than she, she, uh, than the evidence would suggest. And that, or just anything like once, once she realizes she has some kind of power that is unnatural or supernatural, whether she feels like there must be an explanation for this that makes sense. Um, so who knows, like where, where the delusion comes from or how, 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 how thoroughly she was deluded. Um, But I mean, she calls it back like it's something that that Kylo Ren knows about her, because in the same way that by opening his her mind, to his forcibly, he kind of like this is something that the Force Awakens did not do a good job of explaining. But I I feel like it's what you're supposed to understand is that Ray's like ability to do stuff comes from her seeing into Kylo Ren's mind and it's like
1: oh 100%. I, I like, thought it was obvious though because like they have this like mental exchange and then all of a sudden she can mind trick.
0: Yeah, and he he shuts her out like 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 she's poking around in his you mm-hmm. know in his uh innermost thoughts and which she is because she tells him something that he wouldn't admit and it's true based on the way he reacts. And so like the idea is like that by doing that not only do you know something about him but you also like acquire some of his Sort of whatever whatever allows him to access the force or to use to do things. You're aware of the possibilities on some subconscious level, and but that's it could also be you know completely terrifying. Like you got, I mean, what's interesting is it doesn't teach you how to fight. Uh,
1: um, I mean the the novel, or at least the last Jedi novel, said more on it does and you know it's actually really interesting and this is something where unless you're like playing back the movie and like gifting it you n- won't necessarily get but ryan very deliberately has ray like all right so you, you know the whole scene where she's fighting the she's like practicing with the saber and she cuts the rock in half yeah. so yeah. i don't know the source for who found this out but somebody gift it together with the final scene Of Kylo fighting on crate, and she does the same moves that he ends up doing. There's also that scene in um, the throne room where she does like the spin with the lightsaber and she screams at the guard. And that's exactly what Kylo does in The Force Awakens when he like twirls the lightsaber before he screams traitor. So there are very obvious mirrors.
0: Here's the other aspect of it is if you look at the way Rey fights with the saber, especially in Force Awakens, but even in The Last Jedi, she holds it all wrong. And she's holding it wrong because she's holding it as if it were a stick yeah. because that's what she knows how to fight with. And she's still using it as a stick even uh, on Octo. She's swinging it around in a way that makes absolutely no sense for a lightsaber. Wait, are you talking because, about the
1: backwards grip?
0: Yeah. That's, yeah, that's, no, so
1: that's what Kylo does on Crete. Like he does all this backwards grip stuff.
0: He, I'll have to – yeah, I'll look at that. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, It's just, entirely possible that he's, he's – of course, like it, there's no question that it's supposed to be that there is – something was opened up between them that, that cannot be necessarily controlled or understood and sure. would affect them in ways that they would not recognize and would be subconscious. But the way that Ray fights, especially in the force awakens, cause you get a better look at it the way, like once she trusts the force, she, you know, her fighting style changes when she starts out and she's losing, she's fighting the way she thinks you're supposed to fight with sword. And then when she trusts the force, like kind of trust herself, cause that's what the ultimate metaphor is, right? Is like, trust yourself, rely on your instincts, that's that's about as deep as it gets on some level and she starts using it the way she knows how to use something it's like i'm not going to rely on what i think is the right thing to do i'm going to do what i know and that's how i'm going to succeed
1: i don't i still think that she's all right so here's my argument that it's because i think it's the same thing with borrowing from kylo so what again What the last jedi novelization says is she takes his skills and he takes her memories and emotions Daisy, in an interview, I forget with who, said, like, she was explaining the scene where they quote-unquote find the Force together, and then she stops herself, and she's like, oh, I wasn't supposed to say that. And this was in between The Force Awakens and The Last Jedi. And then, two, like, the entire – that entire fight scene is mirrored. So, if you watch it, everything that Rey does or that Kylo does, the other one will do – so, like, you know, she cuts at a tree, and then he cuts at a tree, and the trees fall parallel to each other as he's advancing towards her. As soon as they hit the cliff, is when she goes back at him, they basically repeat the same steps, and then they end in that, like, yin and yang thing, right? So that whole scene is very um, distinctly mirrored to show how they – like, I mean, they are the yin and yang in a lot of ways, right? So they, they borrow – well, again, she's borrowing more from him at that moment. He's not really borrowing from her, but it, they, they elaborate this on this more in the last show as well. But I, I think it's
0: deliberate. I guess, like, just to – is there any way we can tie? Like, we kind of abandoned the basic <laughs> idea of this, <laughs> but it's—I mean, there's only so much you can say about because at a certain point, it is really n- has nothing to do with Star Wars. So it, it's like on some level, like, you, you do have to sort of say, like, okay, it's its own thing. But I mean, the, oh, wait, so uh, let's are you talk talking about, about the ending. Power? Yeah, should we talk about the ending of Tales of Power and then, and then call it a, a, a show?
1: Sure, just really quick, I just want to uh, – so one more part to the cave scene. Actually, I have a lot, but I'll just do this one dialogue, which I think Yoda more or less says the same thing. Um, so Don Juan says um, – so he's talking to Castaneda. You held that thought, and naturally you had to find ways to make the world conform to that thought. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is like when Yoda tells Luke, and, and you mentioned this before, like you're only going to find in there – what you bring with you and this idea of it when you're calm and, and you're at peace, um, you know, you're, you're going to realize that the dark versus the light side. And and Don Juan says, if you get too frightened, you won't be able to keep your appointment with knowledge. A warrior must be calm and collected. So, again, going back to when Yoda says to Luke, you have to be calm to understand yeah. well, what, serious what side of the, of the force. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And must never lose your grip. And then Castaneda says, I'm really scared. Um, moth or whatever, there's something prowling around out there in the bushes. And then Dom One says, of course there is. So this is like when Luke is about to enter the cave and he comments on the darkness and Yoda is like, yeah, of course this is a dark place. Um, so yeah, that that part I felt like the dialogue was you know, a little, little too close for me not to point it out.
0: Yeah, that's, I mean there, it is definitely there. I mean, the whole thing about like the force being a thing that you do not like, this is not like a a fun thing to learn about it is a uh journey of self-discovery and of on some level like just existential terror Uh, especially for ray uh who has no initiation whatsoever before like the floodgates are opened she kind of like stumbles across the now i mean my personal theory or not theory but maybe just like what i would like the story to do is to acknowledge that while she was younger just her time spent in isolation like there were Force things manifesting themselves on some level at all times and that's probably why she was just left alone um like at some point like i mean she was given to uncar plot like basically as a slave but she did she buy her freedom i can't imagine that would happen so at some point i
1: know like- so the force awakens novel says something about how she was was free it wasn't like a she wasn't in like a slave situation so yeah i i, I oh but the, yeah i see what you're saying yeah i don't know
0: Cause somebody was taking care of her and it was like, get, get the hell out of my house. Like <laughs> you witch, like, I don't want, you know, yeah. like something happened that nobody wants to think about or talk about. And it just feels like, you know, like I, but there's, uh, it's interesting. Cause I, to tie this into what the next show I think will be about is I'm reading what I have never read before, but it, it is, I think the weirdest star Wars novel ever written. And it is the first Lando Calrissian adventure, the mind harp of sharu it is it's awesome (laughs) crazy it gets so weird so fast and it is very much like it's like there's no force involved at all but he's like seeing things that do not like make literal like you cannot make sense out of them like shapes that exist within other shapes that are too small to contain them and like there's a i don't remember the exact words but like he has this key in his pocket, and like if he looks at it for even a few seconds, it it makes him feel like his brain needs to throw up or something like that. And like it just it's like dealing with like this ancient civilizations like relics that are uh, impossible to to comprehend um, on a on a literal plane on the on the our plane of reality. And it's like there's so much weird stuff going on, and it's Lando doing it, which is what makes it even more fun. Sure. Um, That's cool. Because he, he never, like, he's unflappable, right? But it's, it is, that is one that I didn't think everybody kind of, kind of talks bad about those things, but it's like, they just show th- those books, but I, I don't think, it, I think it's actually pretty good. There's a lot of weird non Star Wars stuff in it, like he has cigarettes in his pocket for some reason and other weird stuff that just didn't, you know, nobody had, this hadn't occurred to anybody in 1983, what the actual parameters of the galaxy were. Mm-hmm. And so there's a lot of stuff like that. And there's, you know, but like, the weird stuff, the weird places it goes, it just shows like the people who are approaching Star Wars from the very beginning, even people who were just only tangentially involved in the storytelling, um, like the author of the Lando novels, they were touching on this stuff too on some level, and it's always there. And if you're always like the the coming to terms with the unknown and the un like as as Don Juan would say, like the you're thinking about like your, your brain is going to try and force you to make sense out of it. And you can't learn anything that way because you're not opening yourself. You're just trying to, you're trying to explain things. You're looking for an explanation and there can be no explanation. Um And that I think is like in a lot of ways, like the way Ray's fate kind of ends up is like, she thinks that she sees the answer and the, and she may be seeing the answer, but she's not, she doesn't understand what the force does. And the whole idea of like, it just shows you things, but it you have no clue what reality you're being shown and what what message is being sent and what agenda the Force has. And is it really benign in the first place, which it might not be? Um, I think that's something that the movies haven't explored yet, but it's possible. Uh, um, that the Force has its own agenda and is not necessarily uh, beneficent.
1: I think it 100% has its own agenda. And I, I think they, they're going to do that in nine because they've already... Gotten to this point with the the Ray and Kylo thing, where clearly they are, as I was saying before, like they are a part of of yin yang, which people have written um, hundreds of pages about. I mean, there's a lot of stuff on this. So I'm yeah, not gonna, I mean, it's I in guess, the, it's in the text of the, the
0: itself, right? Oh, I mean, yeah, it's sure. like powerful light and the, powerful darkness, and the light rises to meet it. That I mean, that is it's such an obvious thing. It's like if you don't.
1: Yeah, I just – I think it's more complicated by – depending on how you look at Ben Solo and how he came to even be dark in the first place. Um, because, because like, here's the thing. Like, if, if we're taking that literally, so if we're saying that Ray rose – or the, say, like, the Force, quote, unquote, created – I'm not calling her, like, an immaculate conception child. I'm just right. taking Snoke's words at face value, right? If she was created to combat – Kylo, it would mean that he rose in the darkness at age 11, right? Oh, which I see would your- <laughs> mean <laughs>
0: Wow.
1: <laughs> right? But so, from everything we know, and this plays into just a bigger thing with, with what's gone on between him and Snoke, which we have, like, these little, like, you know, hints at. And I, the, right. the Last Jedi novelization gave us the most in terms of, like, you know, Snoke was targeting him since he was a baby. So, right. he had this child like, turned against his parents since he was 11. But he fought that until he was, what, in his early 20s, until he realized, oh, crap, Snoke's right, because here's my uncle trying to kill me. Um, So then why, like, if he fought that for that long, why did Ray rise in the light when he was 11, taking it literally? Or it could just be this idea that, of, you know, the Force Awakening. But, like, another thing is, like, he was never, he's not powerful in the dark. Like, this is where... Like, he's, you know, mostly dark with a little light, and she's mostly light with a little dark. But, you know, he's he's always been conflicted. Like, he's just, he's not very good at staying at one side or the other. Um, and especially since the darkness is so manipulated out of him since he was, you know, a child. So, I, I think it's, there could be a twist in Nine, and I've seen people speculate this, where, and like, full-on credit to... Knights of Rant podcast, do they have this Harbinger mm-hmm. of Doom theory, which I still think could come true? Where, it, as far as the Force is concerned, Ray was the dark one and Ben was the light one, and it all got screwed up. And I'm still holding on to that theory. One, because I really like it. I think it's good. Yeah. But two, because from what we've heard so far about who Ben is and who Ray is, it doesn't quite make sense with Ben's characterization. Yeah. But I again, mean, that's also a rabbit hole. So that's yeah, all I'm going to say on it.
0: <laughs> it's kind of one of those things that it's like, you know, they leave the door open to this stuff because they don't want to make the decision until they have to. I don't like everything we know about how the story is planned out tells us there is no plan. And if you believe there's I a plan, I disagree with that. I, disagree I, 100%. I, I don't. I, I, I gotta say, like, everything we know now is it could it all be some huge con? Yes, it could be. I don't think but. it's a
1: huge con. I think they have specific things planned out. The Kylo Ray storyline was definitely always planned out. And I think a lot of it was also taken from Lucas's notes. Um, but like things like Finn's journey, and even things like Luke, I, I don't I don't think those were entirely planned out, and I don't think everything that happens or like how it's done between you know in Rey's story or in Kylo's story, I I don't think they're planned out to a T. But I think it's very obvious from tropes that are used in The Force Awakens that they've had a plan for how they want to develop that, especially on like a lore front, right? Because That, like, if you go down into this idea of, like, two people are going to balance the force, like, you have to make sure that your lore (laughs) makes sense. Like, this isn't – I just don't see them gambling with that.
0: Assuming balance is even in the equation anymore, which I don't think it is. I think because it's something that was made up for the prequels and didn't make any sense in the first place. And trying to fit it into the original trilogy doesn't work at all because nobody talks about it. And then it also doesn't, like – it just – like moving it into like the balance, of the force out. Like it's something that, well, no, uh, I'm, I can't, I can't really say that because it's like the, without the Jedi, there could be no balance of the force is What, uh, Max von Sydow says at the beginning of the four, I don't know what this means or what he thinks it means, but he's talking about like there, the Jedi need to exist in order for there to be orderliness to things. Mm-hmm. Like they have to be there to, 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 I mean, I don't know what that, what whether that's supposed to mean anything, but I, I can't say balance isn't really a part of the equation. That wouldn't, that can't be, you can't say that. I, I want to say the, that, but I, I'm probably wrong.
1: I think what the sequel trilogy is doing is everything in the prequels that didn't go well in terms of this idea of balance that they had in the prequels was all set up on one guy, so it doesn't work that way. You have to have two people doing it. I mean, that's the point of having, like, and it, it's not like even like with this thing that people say that, you know, Ben's gonna go to the light. It's like I don't I don't think he is, because that I mean, that ruins the whole and unless they subvert it, you know, and and Ray I I don't think Ray's gonna go darker at this point. But you know, it's this idea of now having two people on to balance quote unquote balance the force compared to just one, which doesn't work, right? And and Matt and Martin had an interesting tweet about like how that grey Jedi concept can't exist in canon because the dark side corrupts, right? So like you can't Be, like, 100%. Like, I know – so, one of the big things in The Last Jedi was the prime Jedi – well, I don't know. What
0: was it? Like, a water – It was a mosaic. Yeah. At the bottom of, like, a reflecting pool that – Yeah.
1: So, I mean, that was supposed to be one guy. But I think both of those parts are going to be existing in in, in between two people. So, they can – I mean, that's one wrong they're going to write. Another one is, like, even on just an example outside of this, like – this bigger lore thing is, like, just the idea of what happened to the clone troopers, and, you know, I'm very passionate about this. But yeah. just, like, like, the too long didn't to read on this is, like, in the prequels, you have the clone troopers who established these identities and then had these chips in their brains, and they lost it, and they became, you know, brainwashed super soldiers. Right. But in this the sequel trilogy you start with them being taken as kids and turned into these brainwashed super soldiers and then they at least through finn so far you see them gain their identity so it's the opposite which is also why i'm betting on like a huge stormtrooper rebellion at nine because like they're, they're be very cool. clearly reversing things in the prequel trilogy i mean and, and not like in like a retcon way just like in a the force is fixing
0: yeah, what's happened this, to it this is always what i thought would be like the craziest thing they could do is have uh nine begins and it's like let's say like 10 years later or or a little bit less and what if like kylo ren is a uh effective and um largely uh like like he brings order to the galaxy and is not a horrible monster like what if he tries to do good but it's an authoritarian good i mean i think that would be so anti-star wars in a way because it just it just muddies the waters too much but then again like i guess everything's up for grabs now but i don't know like i don't yeah. know how much i'd like it but that would be a crazy thing to do is not have him turn light or like, sure. good but just have him be like what if like uh you know like like a fascist dictator were uh, a good-hearted person who didn't do anything too evil, you know like or or something like that would be a weird thing because then it, it it's but then I've, it gets yeah, I don't know. That's no, I, I, I hate this idea more and more than more I, I don't talk
1: about. I it. hate it. I think my biggest issue from that is from a character perspective, it wouldn't make any sense because we haven't seen any example that Kylo can lead anything, right? So I mean he's just he's not a leader. He's not True. supposed to like like Leia literally spells it out when like, oh God, was it Clarice Cindy and whatever her name is in yeah. um, uh bloodline is like oh okay well does ben want this planet and leia's like my son like no uh like he's just not that's not in his characterization to actually be good at like leading people It's um, true. i just like, don't see it happening. it's
0: it's pretty clear like what i like about him is that you get to finally see what would happen if darth vader followed through on his uh desire to overthrow the emperor like the best thing i can to to, to to tie this back to something is that in the original draft of empire strikes back, what Vader says to Luke is I'm paraphrasing here, but I believe it's something like he, this is before that Vader's not his father at this point. So that's not a part of the story. So he's just trying to talk Luke into joining him and they're going to overthrow the emperor. And he says, the emperor is a cruel master and I cannot take his place. Look at me. I cannot walk as a man among other men, but you would not be a cruel master. You would be good. If we do this together, you could lead together. He's tempting him with like the possibility of like being the good emperor. Mm -hmm. And like, uh, but yeah, I mean with, I would say though that before, before we say that like Kylo doesn't seem like a leader, that's true up to a point that at the end of the last Jedi, the, the people who are taking his orders, it's, they look, they look askance at Hux when Hux starts delivering duplicate orders. They don't listen to him. Like, they, at, they look they look the gunner guy or the pilot guy looks at Kyla, like are you is that what you want to do? Like it's like um, he's obviously lost his mind crazy at that point, but it's like well, they yeah, actually the do listen story. to what he says. Like it's it's Hux who has like a total authority lapse. Um
1: a little bit, but I mean it's also his command shuttle. And and I thought the opposite until somebody like pointed out like, well, it is his ship.
0: Yeah, but that's like I mean it's 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 Star Wars. It's not like you know, Hunt for the Red October. It's not like a military. You know what I mean? Like Star Wars does not operate on military logic at all, which is part of why people had a problem when it they kind of did with with Poe and Holdo, because what they're doing there is that Holdo should not explain her logic or her plans to anybody who doesn't need to know, because it's a liability, and also because that's just how you maintain discipline. Like people follow orders, even if you tell them to do something that's going to get them killed, they have to follow their orders, or else the whole idea of an army does not work. And it's really weird in Star Wars because Star Wars is a thing where there's, like, how many rebel generals are there? There's, like, 50. There's, like, there's like one rebel general for, like, every three pilots. It's insane. You know, because it's not taking this literally – they don't – it's all just, like, high uh, adventure type thing. But, yeah, I don't know. I mean, you know, every time I say something like this, then something else happens to say, like, no.
1: Well, I think – and I wish there was just one line in The Last Jedi that established this. But the novel – and it was, like, my biggest takeaway from the novel is how to not rule out Hux for nine – For trying to pull something. I mean, one, the entire Stormtrooper army is under his methodology. Or at least it was his father created it. Right. And then, you know, he's now leading it. So, that's his army, right? And then, two, he has this idea of, like, leading everything through technology. While he was being held back constantly by this, like, quote-unquote old guard who was essentially, like, you know, because, like, Snoke didn't care. Snoke was just, like, more concerned on what can I manipulate like, can I manipulate Kylo into a Vader 2.0? Ooh, I can? Cool, I don't care about anything else. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it was his idea to do the tracker. And, well, like, when he's talking with with P V in the novel, there's this, like, whole idea of, like, um, he, it, it, he just, he, yeah, he has this line about how, like, he sees everything as, like, this must be technologically sound. And that, you know the people who are left over from the Empire just aren't listening to him. So now if he has free reign to start doing that, because I just like Kylo doesn't have that kind of military mind. He just wasn't like he was a war dog and he was like trained very well over decades yeah. to like just like follow Vader, whatever right? Snoke was saying. Yeah. <sighs>
0: Darth yes, Vader no. did have, yeah.
1: No, and you know, like they are the same. Like, yeah, in, in that sense, like neither of them are leaders. But um, Darth Vader is, is a little bit different just in terms of how he approached rising to that point of power because like it very much was like like Palpatine went up to him and exploited what was already there and I think the novelization for Revenge of the Sith does a way better job of this than the movie than than explaining like what Anakin's feeling in terms of the emotion that he has and, and the failure that he feels from losing his mother um and, and so Palpatine basically just has to push over some dominoes and he's done. What Snoke did with Ben is a lot more malicious, because essentially what he's done is, like, he's targeted him as a child, and he's taken these moments in his life, which probably, you know, which which he was sensitive about, but it wasn't, like, it, it wouldn't have turned into what it was, right? So, like, he turned into, like, oh, like, his parents, like, his dad always being gone, and they touched on this in one shot, or with one shot, last shot, and, um, you know, like, his parents saying behind closed doors, like, oh, maybe he is a monster, and so Snoke took these moments exploited them, manipulated them, heightened them, and then once he felt like this extreme emotion towards them, shamed him for feeling this emotion at all, and made this idea that sentiment equals death, that's what happened to Anakin. Don't idolize him, idolize Vader.
0: Hmm.
1: So I think it's two completely different scenarios. They're both not leaders, but, you know, Vader taking over the Empire, I think, would have been a very different thing than whatever or, Kylo's going to do now. And they could do a lot. Yeah. Like, yeah, it's, it's very open-ended. On
0: what you're goals are. Like if Kylo doesn't care about what the first order does, he just like, he's in control. And that allows him to do like to focus on whatever thing he's trying to accomplish on his own. He has his own like, like little evil space wizard goals. And then it's like, but I'm also in charge of all these things and they, they can do what they want. And just like the emperor lets his like whole, like the Imperial Navy basically runs the government as far as we can tell. And like, even Vader is subservient to some of them. Mm-hmm. And, uh, like, he is, uh, a hatchet man at best. And, uh, but like, but the emperor is like not really involved in that stuff. Like, it's, it's always like, you're always on dicey territory when you look to like novels and stuff for explanations, because that stuff's just the easiest thing to change. And a lot of it is, uh, like, and they would, they, they did it in, in, I'm speaking just from a little bit of like, personal history with this is like i went through the whole like you know the legends canon was like the canon at one point and it they did the same thing they like tried to explain what the the emperor was doing and it it's uh it never fit with the movies it always was a little bit off and then when the prequels came out they changed it again and it's kind of like it just it seems like the point of the emperor is that he was very hands-off um and he what his concern was is just doing like evil stuff and The big attraction to Luke Skywalker was like, oh, boy, this guy. Yes, excellent. This will be so much fun. Like, that's all he cares about. He doesn't really care. Like, he has no real goals. He's already accomplished his goals. And so, like, if that's what – but it's – if you, but you can't do that with Kylo, I guess, because you have to – he's a main character now, and you got to stick with him, and he's got to have some other thing he's trying to accomplish. That's what makes me most worried about Nine is that I don't know what the characters are trying to do now. They have to establish that.
1: Yeah, no, I mean, like, Kylo – Kills Snoke and then like over his dead body just like essentially regurgitates everything that he's been told for two decades I mean what else are you gonna do you know like that's it would have been ridiculous if he just like oh yeah I can be Ben Solo that's fine like I've heard this like argument like oh well he's turned down redemption twice it's like one it's been a week and two it makes no sense from a writing perspective to have this character who's like been with this like evil, you know what, a sense, what? Essentially, in like you know the the fairy tale canon that this is inspired by, it's like the evil sorcerer who puts a spell over the kid. Right. Um, so it it doesn't like you know. So yeah, so he's like over Snoke's dead body, and he becomes exactly what Snoke said he was going to be which is this idea of like the child in the mask who's just running around doing things that Darth Vader did like they have him force Mm choking and they have him like you know strutting down runways and like or whatever those are the, the walkways and like throwing his cape back and like yelling and it's just like I yeah, where I mean, he is now is not his goal, but he doesn't know where to go. Like he's never been alone in his head. At well, least from from what yeah. we can get so far, they better explain this because I'm so sick of all this just being in the novels. And so yeah. we're just like, well, the novel said this. It's like, yeah, but they haven't said that in the movie yet. And I was like, well, wait for it. Like
0: <laughs> it could. I mean, it, you know, and just the thing about the the novels are still good. It doesn't matter. Like, you don't have to worry about, like, everything in them isn't reflected on screen. Like, it's, that's that version of the story. And you kind of like, some of them I like and some of them I don't like. With what, what's interesting, and just to bring this back to Castaneda finally, is uh, it kind of <laughs> occurred to me that, um, that, like, that moment where the scales are lifted from both Ray and Kylo's eyes, where Kylo is certain that by saving Ray's life and killing Snoke, that he has gained an acolyte and that he is not going to be alone. Uh, it, he's got, he's not in this on his own anymore. He doesn't have to rely on Snoke. He can, he can cut ties to everything and start a new thing. He's convinced there's no way that she's not going to follow him. And she is convinced of the exact same thing, but for her, there's no way he's not going to come back with me. And they're both wrong. Of course you would think that if you're deluded, like if you have, if you have uh, convinced yourself that you have the explanation, but you didn't earn it. Just like if you, if you try to make sense out of things, you impose a narrative on this like mystical element, the the force that doesn't do necessarily what you tell it to, you Mm -hmm. know, like it controls your actions and it obeys your commands, but which is it? Is it telling you to act or is it, you know, making you feel like you're doing, you know, it's everything you read into it is a mistake at some point on some, on some level. And it's like, that's what's interesting is they both kind of realize that that one moment, Oh my God, I made a huge mistake. Sure.
1: Well, I mean, I wouldn't call it a mistake, but just, um, not getting the whole picture.
0: Because they both saw that they like no, I've seen it. You're going to be the one to turn, or you know that that. Well,
1: no. So thing. Kylo saw her past. So Kylo assumed, based on the fact that like, oh, you were left alone to die, so was I. Like not you know that's what he thinks. Yeah. So thinks in, that, in his head, he's like, well, of course you feel the same way, because like, what the hell else exists, right? Because that's how we think. From
0: a darker standpoint, he thinks he knows what she wants.
1: Well, yeah, and she thinks and, that he knows what like, he like. It goes both ways, right? Like that's right. what's I mean, so interesting he, about their their snare. Yeah,
0: I mean, she thinks that he's going to t- do. Like once Luke rejects her, it's kind of like, I need somebody to like, I don't know where else to go. Like he's the only other option, but he's evil, but maybe he's not evil. And it's just wishful thinking at that point. And it's kind of like,
1: I think it's a little bit more than wishful thinking because like they do, like she does believe strongly in, in both like what she does feel in him. I mean, they have that force connection and then like, the, you know, the thing with like sensing his conflict Um, and then also like, yeah, yeah, you know, the, the vision, obviously.
0: Yeah, I mean, in the whole, like, um, I mean, we will, we, we can touch on this in a separate episode. I'm kind of cut this episode in half. <laughs> um, I think that'll be just fine, but like, we can talk about the, the romantic angle of it at some point because there's different ways that that can be accurate. And one of them is that, like, she doesn't actually know what love is. And, uh, she is, and no, just like he doesn't, he's been, to, for lack of a better term, perverted by his association with Snoke, but
1: no, sure, like yeah, as I said, like he's brainwashed to think sentiment equals death,
0: right? And, and, well, not brain, well,
1: whatever. I'm not going to jump down that. She's one so
0: desperate for belonging that the one person who will accept her is, I mean, she's been abused essentially, but it, it, more from neglect than than uh, you know the Snoke style abuse. And when what Luke is unwittingly doing by rejecting her is is uh, is setting her up for that. And it's kind of interesting how Luke's own like him attempting to do the Don Juan thing in a way kind of backfires and uh kind of forces his hand. So now he's he has to do something. He has to get involved or else this is all gonna be, you know,
1: sure, but like he again, like he does this thing twice where like if he didn't break up and you know frankly, I'm I'm not gonna say that, oh, this was lazy writing. Like, no, like this is like Luke would have broken up the thing in like the Hut scene. But like if they all right, it's just like let's just say theoretically Luke never came in and they started talking through, okay, like one big thing with this is like literally they just have huge communication issues. One, because like the plot call- calls for it. And two, because right. they're just both insanely stubborn, which is like, you know, again, cause he is a thought process that like, like both of them, like a lot of this story is like them, breaking down barriers that keep them from finding their own identities, right? So with Rey, it's like she's she's been lying to herself that, oh my God, no, my parents are alive. They're going to come back for me. And he's like, no, just move past that now. Um, And so she's able to do that. And with, you know, Snoke, as you were saying, like she's an inspiration for why he finally had the courage to kill Snoke. But, you know, at that point, you now have these two characters who are like, okay, well, now I'm like ready to like find out okay well who am i without the influence of anybody else or even in Ray's case without the influence of what i've been telling myself um and it's it's that you know he they they have to figure that out by themselves like they can't it it erases the point of finding your own identity if they have to like not like lean on each other like i'm not saying oh they can't help each other but it's you know, he, like, Kylo especially has to figure out, like, within his own head, because he's never, at least, again, like, what we have an understanding of, like, he's never really been alone in his own head. So he has to, like, figure out where he's gone wrong. um And then, you know, what's been, been done to him and, and what's been told to him that's wrong. and But I think the point of the throne room scene was, like, they are stronger together. They just, it's not that easy right right just like luke
0: and vader would be stronger together but they can't really be like i do not buy like the vader total conversion like deathbed conversion thing like he doesn't do anything to redeem himself what he does is one decent thing he finds one shred of humanity that's left in himself and he accesses it to do one basically selfish thing which is to end his own suffering of watching his child suffer um like it's not about like death means nothing to Darth Vader. Like he doesn't care. I'm gonna die, whatever. But he doesn't what what mean like the, the, what's meaningful of what he does is he just digs in and finds the last bit of humanity he has. There's some little piece that he's been storing away that isn't totally corroded, and he accesses it, and then he can die. And mm-hmm. it's like that is what's important about what he does. Is it's not the point that you can always come back and be a hero again. I think the point is like it's you can still like. There's still something of you left, even when you've abandoned yourself to excess and, and the, the darker side of, of reality. And, and, uh, and that's what's going to be interesting to see with uh, Kylo. And it was kind of what's, uh, at the end of, of Tales of Power where he jumps off the cliff, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it's like the severing. It's like the, it's the, it's the rite of passage. It's where you finally become whatever it is that you were striving. It's, you, you cut the umbilical cord, I guess. And then, uh, and that's, that's what the last Jedi does. It's like the whole thing. And it's like, but then the problem is, it's like, okay, but now I'm plummeting to my death. So, <laughs> you know, it's like a, you're, you're on your own and, uh, you are kind of left to, you're not even left to your own devices. You're kind of trusting in like the kind of whatever the cosmic forces are. And, uh, you may not come out of it. Right. It's the it's the whole thing that Don Juan says. mm mm-hmm. Like how how much of the of the infinite can you touch before you cease to be an individual? Um, anyway, I think we got to wrap it up there. That's
1: yeah, no, right. sure. I mean, just feeding that then back into Star Wars really quickly. I think that's why nine is going to be very mythic, in my humble opinion.
0: <laughs> if they do really good, I mean, that's, yeah, that's the one I'm well. most worried about. <laughs> and I and it's not because I have an idea of what I think should happen. It's because I don't know what should happen, but I can easily see how. It could go wrong sure but you know what in the end like there'll be other movies and it doesn't really the the, you just hang in there and and you'll see something you like and i think i feel really lucky to have gotten this such a cool movie as the last jedi my quibbles with it notwithstanding it's like it is so uh it does tap into this kind of spiritual journey stuff and the idea that the spiritual journey is really never over Mm -hmm. um and that even your failures are meaningful uh, so thank you for joining me, Katie. Thank you so much. Uh, well,
1: thank you. Sorry. This turned into like the biggest tangent ever.
0: That's why. I mean, I, <laughs> I brought you here for that reason. And, and I'd love for you to come back whenever you got anything on your mind or if there's ever anybody else you want to, uh, give a platform to that's, that's good too. I like all that stuff. Do you feel, uh, any closer to enlightenment?
1: no but i hate self-help and i still don't really know much about uh, the new age movement so yeah, i'm the it's, bad it's kind person. of like yeah
0: i mean it's kind of like what ended up happening to castaneda himself it's like it's so inwardly focused it can become solipsistic, where it has nothing to do with the better good right. and you're just alone there on your island with all your power um and uh it, it, but it, then it's just really it's all about you and of course like you're you're missing the point What a journey of of self discovery and uh, geekery par excellence. Um, what really makes uh, anything great, like Star Wars or anything else, um, it's it's partly the content, but it's also partly just the the excuse we have to talk about things with other interesting people, and it just gives us a, a a springboard for conversation. And I think, I think that worked out really well. There was no real structure to it to that, especially the second half. That was this episode. But uh, anyway, I mean the next episode, it's going to be, I think we're going to be, it's going to be post. uh, So we're all, I I gave you a chance to to just go see solo, go see the movie. And uh, then we're going to continue. So I'm going to discuss that. It's going to be a spoilerific discussion on that. I think I'm going to be having um, the one and only uh, King Tom, his majesty, the King of all Toms. Uh, Baron of Tomsylvania uh, Duke of North Tomsburg. Um, he, we're going to be talking about the other origin stories uh, For Han Solo that are out there There's actually a, quite a different uh, You know, there's some strange uh, Things going on, there's some similarities There's some differences um, But the stories of how Han and Lando met Of how Han got a start, how Han met Chewie uh, His, his uh, life of crime And daring do um, there was another way that went once upon a time. It was actually really good. It's probably my favorite part, my favorite little era of the, the old expanded universe timeline. And even though it's not around anymore, it's not canon anymore, it's still very interesting. And it's uh, a very good story. There's some of the very good stories in there. And they're not all good, but they're mostly good. It's definitely worth hearing about, especially if you uh, liked what you saw in the movie and you just want a little bit more, just something else. It doesn't really matter whether it's canon. I I, I, uh, I submit to you respectfully that it does not that what matters is, is it a fun story? And is it true to the character? And in most cases, it is definitely uh, true to the character and it is really fun. Um, but anyway, that's it. So as always, I implore you, I, I beseech you, gentle listener, get on iTunes, subscribe to the WikiGenome Genome Project. Tell a friend to get on iTunes and subscribe to the WikiGenome Genome Project. Do all that stuff. And, and give us a five-star review. Leave a question in that five-star review, and you can—I will answer that question. And and also uh, uh, tell your friend to leave a five-star review and ask a question. I will answer that question. And um, I look forward to doing this as regularly as possible. I uh, apologize for the the hiatus, but you know I'm, I'm making it up to you. I think I, 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 as I do the longer I do this, the, the better idea I get of what uh, I want to be, what I want the show to be. And I guess it just has to be a little bit weirder, a little bit looser, a little bit less structured uh, than I anticipated at first. But I think that's for the best, because you know what? There's a lot of parkrunners out there, and many of them are on the merits better than I could possibly do. I cannot compete with some of these people, but what I can do is, uh, is get weird, get crazy, get a little nuts. You want to get nuts? Let's get nuts. But yeah, so if you want to hear me, uh, if you like hearing the sound of my voice, uh, and you like it going directly in your ears, straight to your brain, uh, you can hear even more of that. Uh, I talk about video games on a podcast called Hardcore Gaming 101. Um, we just uh, probably have our 101st or 102nd episode up by now. It's been going on for uh, a little while, and it's it's a really good show. Even if you're not like a super fan of video games, if you just are a casual player. Uh, but if you like the history of things, or if you like uh, just weird stuff in general... And you like uh, the the fun of, of hearing people who uh, enjoy something talk about it together. It's a it's a really is a great show. I'm very very proud of it. Uh, if you like this episode, make sure you uh, say so say so on Twitter. Let her know. Let me know. And anyway, that's it. I'll talk to you later or until next time. So long.